0: The Eagle and Child, episode 19.
1: Mere Christianity, book three, chapter seven, forgiveness.
0: Hello, and welcome to The Eagle and Child, the hallowed pub of the Inklings. This is a podcast where each week, my friend Matt and I share a beer, and we discuss the writings of the author known to the world as Clive Staples Lewis, or C.S. Lewis, or just as Jack to his friends. My name is David, and today we're looking at the chapter of Mere Christianity, which discusses forgiveness. And as usual, I'm joined today by a man whose mistakes in speech are always forgiven during the editing process, Matt. (laughs) Friends, if only you knew how good David
1: makes me sound (laughs) on these podcasts. And as always, I'm excited to be here with David, a man who has learned how to love others the same (laughs) way he loves himself. How do you take that, David? I have a lot of self-hatred. I'm okay with this. <laughs> Good answer. Friends, today we're going to be discussing what is arguably one of the most difficult and important virtues, forgiveness. We cannot forget Jesus said, only those that forgive will be forgiven. That is a strong and albeit scary statement. To help us understand what forgiveness is and what it looks like, Lewis focuses in on the question what does it look like when we love ourselves? There's a blueprint we can find hidden in that answer. But as always, I know you're dying for the quote of the day.
0: Yeah, what is it this time? This one comes from The Four Loves. Uh, This is great. This is actually the book that we're currently reading in our book club here in San Diego. And the quote is, to love it
1: all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you wanna make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. I chose this quote because today we're talking about forgiveness. And the quote mentions love requires vulnerability. If you're going to be vulnerable, you're going to get hurt from time to time. And if you want to have relationships and quality ones, you need to learn to forgive people.
0: And now on to today's drink. We are drinking Lagavulin 16. So I'm trying to develop in Matt very expensive tastes. So I I appreciate this. You're welcome. You're welcome. And David supplied this. And for those of you who watch the TV show Parks and Recreation, this is Ron Swanson's favorite whiskey. I mm. tried
1: watching an episode of it. I could not get into it. Oh, it's so good. Is it? <laughs> I've heard a lot of people that I, you know, I'm friends with, like yourself, say it's good. I don't know why I haven't. Maybe I just have to give it a few episodes.
0: I'll, I'll have to send you Ron Swanson's Pyramid of Greatness. Okay. It's, it's incredible. Okay. Anyway, cheers. Cheers.
1: Ooh, another
0: peaty one. Oh, yes. I always go for the peaty ones. Yeah,
1: clearly. Oh,
0: <laughs> that is good. It's lovely, isn't it? There's a very unique burn on the back of your throat. Whereas, say, the green label, it's very soft on the tongue, and then you have that drop at the back of your throat when suddenly all the warmth comes out. This one, I think, is much more even.
1: Yes. I can still feel it on the tongue. hmm Well, thank you, David. This is going to be a great Sunday. <laughs>
0: Late in the evening, despite what you said on our previous episode. <laughs> did I point that out? Yeah, you did. I left it in. <laughs> <laughs> the listeners,
1: I never know what he's going to leave in or not. You'd be surprised the stuff I say.
0: Yeah. And you'd sometimes be surprised by some of the stuff I leave in.
1: I am actually really surprised. <laughs> I remember when we first started, I was, this was the first time I've ever done a podcast. And I was somewhat insecure because you had done a lot. I'm new to this and I'm thinking the whole time, David's going to cut this. David's going to cut this. David's going to cut this. And then you start leaving stuff in. I'm like, oh, maybe I'm not as
0: dumb sounding as I think I am. Or if you are, it's still entertaining.
1: <laughs> oh, you always know how to spin it. That's
0: what I do. Okay, so a couple of episodes ago, Lewis told us that he thought that chastity was the most unpopular thing in Christianity. In today's chapter, however, he says he wants to amend his answer. He thinks that there's something even more hated than chastity. And that's forgiveness. I would agree with that. But I would say it, it's definitely more difficult. I think a lot of people like the idea of forgiveness. But when it comes to actually practicing it themselves, they're then less keen. Well,
1: I, I would say because when I think of forgiveness, man, it takes a healthy dosage of humility and vulnerability. And that's something no one, I mean, who really likes to be humble? We, our, our pride and our arrogance keeps us from being that. I mean, you really... I love to be humble. Oh, do you really?
0: Yeah. yeah. So in previous chapters, we've spoken about the golden rule, do as you would be done by. And an essential part of this is forgiving others, because when we do something wrong, we want others to forgive us. Makes sense. And scripture tells us again and again that we are to love our neighbor and to forgive our enemies. And rather amusingly, GK Cheston says that these two are often paired together because our neighbors usually are our enemies. <laughs>
1: Classic Chesterton, just to find those little connections.
0: <laughs> Actually, complete sidebar. At the end of the year, there's going to be a Chesterton conference in Orlando. Think I'm going to go. The final session is on Tolkien, Lewis, and Chesterton.
1: Listeners, if you could just see the smile on David's face right now. <laughs> it's like a kid in a candy shop. Oh, Yeah, I was going to say, I bet most listeners are thinking, eh, Chester- I mean, that sounds fun, but if I'm going to take some time off, I'd rather go to the beach.
0: But even then, it is in Orlando, so it's not like I'm going to be slumming it.
1: That's true. They picked a good location. Now, I want to ask you a question, though. As as you're going through all of this, I get
0: the feeling that everyone does think forgiveness is a good thing. I mean, what would you say to that? I think everybody likes the idea of forgiveness, but when it actually comes to doing it, it's kind of different. It's like everybody would like to be well-read. Everybody would like to be the sort of person that has time for everyone along their way. They would like to be the sort of person that's generous, but when it actually comes to doing it... They'll never do it. It's just very different. Yep. Here's what Lewis says. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And then to mention the subject at all is to be greeted with howls of anger. That's interesting. I wonder what he means by howls of anger. Well, how many times have you heard someone say, I know I should forgive, but you don't know what this person did to me. You don't know what they said. Lewis says it's not because they think forgiveness is too high or even too much of a difficult virtue. They think that the very act of forgiving the harm done to them is something hateful and contemptible. What's interesting here, and
1: we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but what you're really hating is not truly what Christians mean
0: by forgiveness. It's you're hating the application of it to your life. Yes, that's exactly (laughs) right. Which is much harder. Yeah. And Lewis says that when he talks about this, people say, well, how would you feel about forgiving the Gestapo if you were, say, a Pole or a Jew? And Lewis says that he does wonder how he would react just in the same way he wonders how he would react if he was, say, called upon to die for his faith. But he says, what I would do is sort of immaterial because what I'm doing in this book is I'm explaining what Christianity is, not how well I would live up to its teachings.
1: I appreciate that he does it that way too. You have to separate. He's not sitting here saying, "This is what I'm doing." This mm. is this is just this is what Christianity is, and I think he says, "Is it in uh, mere Christianity that he points out sometimes it's a hard pill to swallow?" I think most of the things that he says <laughs> kind of like that. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, I, I like how he takes that approach. He's not going to beat
0: around the bush. Yeah, he says it's perfectly clear from Scripture and from the Christian tradition that if we do not forgive, we ourselves will not be forgiven.
1: That's a I mean, take a step back here for a second. That is a really strong statement. Mm. I mean, Jesus says, you will not be forgiven if you don't forgive. He doesn't condition that. He doesn't qualify that. Well, you know, if you try, or, you know, I get it. Or if but.
0: they're really a jerk. And yeah,
1: they're really a jerk. Yeah. I mean, that's a strong one. And I believe that's why Lewis, given the strength of that statement, really wants to answer, what is forgiveness?
0: Quite a few years ago, I was way on retreat and I was having the most phenomenal prayer time of my life. God felt close. It was warm. It was just beautiful. When I'd go to prayer, I felt so connected to God. And I think it was on like the second day, suddenly it was like the lights went out. It all went dark. Hmm. And I spent that day thinking about why this might be. And I realized that there was somebody in my life very close to me who I had not forgiven. I started seeing how that hurt relationship was affecting my relationship with God. And that was actually the motivation for me to set about the very hard process of forgiving this person. I believe I've said this
1: before, but the story of the two men at the Vietnam War Memorial that were both prisoners of war. One looks at his... I shared a story a lot, so maybe I didn't share it on the no, podcast. I don't, you, I don't
0: think you shared this here.
1: Okay, so there are two men that were prisoners of war, and they're at the Vietnam War Memorial. And his friend asks him, have you forgiven them? And the guy answers, of course not, from the torture that he received. And his buddy said, "Oh, well, then you're still a prisoner in your heart. Mm-hmm. And there's so much truth to that. When we don't forgive, it hurts us more than that it hurts the other person.
0: It's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die.
1: Yeah, it's exactly right. It's a good way of describing it.
0: I think I'm stealing that from somewhere. Maybe Matthew Kelly. I'm not sure.
1: Matthew <laughs> <laughs> Kelly's a great guy. I think you'll understand. I want to take a little aside here. I'd like to mention a beautiful book called As We Forgive, Stories of Reconciliation from Rwanda by Katherine Larson. It's an incredibly beautiful book on the power of forgiveness. While our earthly self may disagree with the teaching of forgiveness in the most extreme circumstances, as Lewis pointed out, maybe we say, well, no, you don't have to forgive the Gestapo. I mean, that might be a natural thing to say. I believe that Christianity is correct on this. When I read that book, the Rwanda Genocide and the Forgiveness, the most beauty came out of that. The only reason that country is thriving is because they were able to forgive. Imagine if they said, no, we don't have to forgive. It's a credible book to showing that forgiveness is truly what's
0: needed. We need to forgive our enemies, but how do we do it? Lewis offers two key points. I love this first one. It's wonderful. The first one is start small. Very, very practical. Very practical. Rather than trying to forgive great sins and great sinners, Jack says, no, start with the small things. He says in mathematics, you don't start with calculus. You start with simple addition then you go to subtraction, multiplication, division, and then work your way up to calculus. And he says in the same way, rather than trying to forgive the Gestapo, why not forgive somebody close to you for some small offense?
1: This principle applies to absolutely everything. You don't start weightlifting 60 pound weights. I do. <laughs> Maybe some people do. I start with <laughs> 10. <laughs> but it, it, that, everything. You don't start by running a marathon. You start by running two miles. It's so much we focus on this big goal at the end. No, focus on the progress. And let me say, there are plenty of small things in our daily lives to train us in this virtue. This is true. People are really irritating. (laughs) So beyond just starting small, his second piece of advice is we have to really understand what it
0: means to love your neighbor and to forgive him. And he's going to spend the rest of the chapter unpacking this. So, to love my neighbour, do I have to like him? I love myself, but do I like myself? Lewis says that I don't actually have a feeling of fondness or affection for myself. And he says, even sometimes, I don't even enjoy my own society, being around myself. And he says, well, sometimes I think that I'm a nice guy. And he says, I'm actually probably at my worst when I'm doing that. But he says that even when I think of myself as a nice guy, that's not even the reason why I love myself. It's because I love myself that I think myself a nice guy. Causation's the opposite way. And he even says that some of the things that I can look at within myself, things that I've said, things that I've done, I can look at those with horror. And I don't have to say that they're okay. I can actually say, no, what I said and did was horrible. And I don't actually like that version of me. I feel that a lot and and the consequence of this is therefore i don't actually have to like my enemies i don't actually have to say that what they did was good i can say that these things that they did were bad i can say that i don't really like them yeah but i'm still called to love them so clearly loving ourselves
1: to summarize this don't have to feel fond of ourselves nope and we don't have to think ourselves nice all the time
0: nope don't anyway <laughs>
1: And like you said, I like that. There's parts of myself I loathe, and yet I love myself. I hate many of the things I do, yet I still love myself. So clearly when we love ourselves, there's something going on here. We're separating the person from the actions, which is his next point.
0: Mm. And this clears up something that he had heard as a child and he thought was just silly. And that was hate the sin, not the sinner. And he just thought that was crazy. How can you separate the two? Surely we are what we do. How can I possibly hate what a man does, but yet love the man? And this is where Lewis says, but years later, it occurred to me
1: that there was one man whom I had been doing this my whole life.
0: Can you guess who it is?
1: I think I got an idea. (laughs) I think we've led the listeners to it. Myself. In fact, the very reason why I hated the things was that I loved the man. Actually, this reminds me a little side here of Chesterton's quote. You have to hate the world, enough to want to change it. You have to love the world enough to think it worthy of change. Kind of the same principle here. Mm -hmm. He says, Consequently, Christianity does not want us to reduce by one atom the hatred we feel for cruelty or treachery. We ought to hate them. But it does want us to hate them in the same way in which we hate things in ourselves. By being sorry that the man should have done such things... And here's the important part, in hoping, if it is any way possible, that somehow, sometime, somewhere, he can be cured and made
0: human again. That last part is just breathtaking. It is. It's the desire for the other person's good. Desire that they would be better. And he gives an example of when somebody, say, here's a story where there had been some calamity or some kind of cruelty. And then a little later, it transpires that maybe that wasn't the whole truth. Maybe it wasn't as bad as they thought. Or maybe it didn't happen at all. We live in the era of fake news. (laughs) And the person still actually wants to believe the original story. They still want to paint their enemies as that evil, that stupid, that incompetent. Lewis says that if they give that thought its head, it'll actually change their heart because they'll want grey now to be a little darker a little blacker, even then white to be a little blacker. And then it'll end up consuming them. They will see everything in this world in that way.
1: I think he goes so far to say you're slowly becoming a hellish creature.
0: Yeah. it. This is, comes back to that central C.S. Lewis idea that he really articulates in this book. Every decision, we turn ourselves either a little bit towards heaven or a little bit more towards the other place. <laughs> the place that must not be named. It's... It, it, it's
1: a litmus test that hits you. I'm just thinking of right now, if you're a liberal and you hear... I was going with the same place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking right now, like if you're a liberal and you're reading a Donald Trump story and it's super negative, you get you probably get a little pleasure. And mm-hmm. then if you find out it's less negative, you're disappointed. And vice versa. If I'm a conservative and I read this story on Hillary Clinton that's, that's incredibly negative and then I find it's a little bit
0: less negative, am I disappointed or am I excited to know, you know what, she's... Less bad than I thought. I've often seen that in Facebook discussions when somebody's posted some inflammatory piece and someone from the other side has qualified it to say, ah, this person didn't actually say this. The policy is actually this. And you see it make no difference whatsoever to the vitriol from the person that originally posted it. So true. I'm sure they would have said this anyway. I'm sure it actually really happened. So does loving my neighbor mean that he should never be punished? Jack says no. And he uses the same logic as before. Does the fact that I love myself mean that I ought to never be subject to punishment? He says, if one had committed a murder, the right Christian thing would be to give yourself up to the police and be hanged. Because back in his day, they were still phasing out hanging. That's unreal. (laughs) Not that long ago. No, not at all. And he says that because of this, therefore, in my opinion, it is perfectly right for a Christian judge to sentence a man to death or a Christian soldier to kill an enemy.
1: Before unpacking this a little bit, Do you know actually what, for Catholic listeners, what the Catholic teaching is on capital punishment? not trying to open up a can of worms, but I'm just curious (laughs) if there's a pretty definitive answer.
0: Uh, Basically, the Catholic Church doesn't say that the capital punishment in and of itself is immoral, um, that it has a legitimate place in society if it can be effective. We have had recent popes dial back that talk, seeing that capital punishment doesn't have a place in modern society. But you can be a Catholic in good standing with the Church and either believe that capital punishment is allowable or that it should be banned. We're not going to get too deep into this argument here, but if you want to hear a really good presentation of the reasons why capital punishment should be retained, check out Edward Fazer's book. I think it's called something like, By, by Man Shall His Blood Be Shed. Hmm. I,
1: I feel like you might have mentioned that before. I've definitely there.
0: mentioned Fazer. Okay. He's a fantastic yeah, philosopher.
1: That's exactly right. I've heard that name, not the book title.
0: But his book on this subject If you are anti-death penalty, you will at least hear what I think are the best arguments in favor of it.
1: It's probably natural at this stage, after hearing that, to be asking yourself, does this contradict the statement, the commandment, thou shall not kill? And Lewis points out that in scripture, there are two Greek words used for kill. One means to kill, and one means to murder. And every time in Matthew, I believe it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's Mm -hmm. talked about, it uses the word for murder. And so in the same way, sexual intercourse is not always adultery. Killing is not always murder. And
0: we're commanded to not murder.
1: Exactly. And Lewis points out that's why he believes when soldiers came to St. John the Baptist, St. John the Baptist never remotely suggested they ought to leave the army. He just told them to be just. Exactly. And same thing when Christ with the Roman centurion.
0: So we don't have to necessarily like our enemies. We can condemn his acts and say they're evil. And we can even punish or perhaps kill him. So some people are going to ask, what then is the difference between Christian morality and the ordinary view? Well, obviously absolutely nothing. Unfortunately, C.S. Lewis disagrees with you. I had a 50-50 chance. (laughs) Lewis says it makes all the difference in the world. And it's based on some of the key principles that we've seen throughout this book. The first is that we are eternal creatures. We were made to live forever. And the second is in our small decisions, we either turn ourselves a little bit more towards heaven or hell. Here's what he says. Therefore, what really matters is those little marks or twists on the central inside part of the soul that is going to turn it in the long run into a heavenly or hellish creature.
1: What he's describing, it all seems to come down to that interior part of ourselves. Everything you mentioned earlier in this podcast, everything comes to the heart. So he points out, we may kill, but we must not hate, and we especially must not enjoy hating. We may punish, but we must not enjoy it. So what are the feelings inside of us when we're doing this? Is it a feeling of resentment? Is there a feeling of vengeance? That feeling has
0: to be killed. And it needs to be replaced with a hope for this person. Yes. Wanting them to be good, wanting them to somehow, some way become better. And this is not a one-time thing. This is something that we grow in. Lewis says that we can't just decide in this moment that we will never feel this hatred anymore. He says that just isn't how things work. He says, I mean that every time it bobs its head up, day after day, year after year, all our lives long, we must hit it on its head. It is hard work, but the attempt is not impossible. It Makes me think of that fun arcade game where the moles pop up. Whack-a-mole. <laughs> exactly. It's difficult, Lewis would say, but it's not impossible.
1: And that's why going back to when we talked a little bit about politics, if you feel that way towards the opposite party, it's okay. We're all going to have this, but make sure we're trying to actually acknowledge it and whack it in the head.
0: In the same way that this is something we have to do event after event to knock it down, I'd also say even forgiveness itself, we may have to forgive the same person for the same original act, the same original hurt that they gave us again. And again and again. 70 times seven. That's a little different because Peter is saying, I've got to forgive my brother for multiple things that he does to me. I gotcha. What I'm saying is that if someone does me one wrong, Mm -hmm. I have to forgive him, choose to forgive him. But a little time may go by and I might feel those feelings of hatred and anger starting to surface again. And I have to forgive him again for the same thing. It's not just a one time thing. Forgiveness is almost always, always a process. I'm
1: glad I actually brought that up because I was thinking at first you meant if he keeps repeating the action to you, which then a listener might say, well, you probably should get yourself out of the position to be hurt over sure. and over. But that makes more sense. It's so true. You, forgiveness is not a one-time action. I don't say, David, I forgive you. And then I just know the emotions are all gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got to forgive me day in and day out for all day of the editing. In and day out. <laughs> I am glad I get to help you in this process towards heaven.
0: And actually one of the best pieces of advice I got, I went to confession to one of the FSSP priests. So one of the traditional Catholic priests.
1: What does that mean,
0: by the way? Uh, Stands for the Fraternity of St. Peter. Okay. So they do the Tridentine Mass. The Mass from the Council of Trent. I went to confession to this priest and I confessed anger. There was someone who had deeply hurt me. And I said, I keep trying to forgive. And I know this is a process, but I still feel angry. And he gave me some fantastic advice. And I hope this helps someone else out there. He said, you're doing well, but you cannot feed this anger. Because what happens when you, when, you, when you chew over anger, when you mull on how you've been wronged? Does that anger get bigger or smaller? It gets bigger. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go back out to the church. I want you to write a one or two line prayer in your journal. This is going to be the prayer that you pray whenever you think of that person. Hmm. Whenever you think of them, before you even give yourself a chance to start mulling over how they wronged you, I want you to pray that prayer. And so I went out and wrote the prayer. It was something very short, like, um, Lord, I ask you to bless, insert name here. (laughs) (laughs) Please make them happy and holy. Bring them to you in heaven. Give them every grace and blessing. It's very hard to be praying those words and at the same time to be fostering that anger.
1: What stood out to me, the beauty of your prayer, actually, is I felt you were genuinely wishing the others good. Mm -hmm. Because remember how Lewis points out in another area, don't just say, God, make this a better person. (laughs) It didn't seem like you're doing it. It's like, give this person all the graces in the world. That is wishing someone's good. And so we must try to feel about the enemy as we feel about ourselves. That is to wish that he were not bad, to hope that he may in this world or another, be cured. In fact,
0: to wish is good. And St. Thomas Aquinas, this was his definition of love, to will the good of the other as other.
1: I'd love to bring this full circle. So what would you say is the bottom line, the takeaway from all of this?
0: The central point that Lewis is making here is we need to think, what does it mean to love others as myself? How do I love myself? And why do I love myself? Is it because I'm so amazingly good-looking and charming and intelligent? With a great accent. With a great accent. I mean, sure, there's a great, but no. (laughs) (laughs) I love myself because I'm a self. It is for this reason that I seek my good, that I try and overlook my faults, that I hope to be a better man than I really am. Because this is how God loves me. God doesn't love me because of all of my fantastic achievements. God loves me Because I'm a self. Because I was made in his image and likeness. And if that's the reason God loves me, and if that's really the reason that I love myself, that should be the reason that I love other people. And I should treat them in the same way that I would want to be treated. The golden rule. Even if they're
1: Democrat or Republican?
0: Yeah, go on then. (laughs) I
1: guess. We we just went through... Two suggestions, more or less, by Lewis on, on how we can become better at forgiving. One, the small steps. Two, really learning what forgiveness is. And he did that by asking ourselves, how do we love ourselves? I do want to offer up a third one.
0: Ooh, you're trying to improve on Lewis.
1: I think you're going to like this one. I feel very confident in this step one.
0: Clear, step carefully, Matt. Ooh. Step carefully. I,
1: I'm not worried. I'm not worried. I would argue that the graces necessary to actually forgive comes through prayer. And I know that seems fluffy. And we always (laughs) say, just pray about it. But in the book, As We Forgive, it's not meant to be a Christian book. It's very historical. It's very beautifully written, just these different perspectives of stories of people. But clearly these individuals took a very Christian approach to it. And they all admitted that it was only through prayer. They said, there was no way I could have forgiven that person on my own. But by constantly going to God and asking him for just a little bit more strength than the last time I was with them, they got to that place where they could forgive them. And friends, when we spend more time in prayer, not only does God provide the graces that I was talking about, our hearts are slowly transformed. It's it is the most, one of the most important, if not the most important process in that 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 Lewis talks about of
0: turning your heart one way or the other. The entire point of Christianity is to turn us to Jesus. Exactly. And turn us into Jesus. Everything else in Christianity is meant to be seeking that goal. I don't want to belittle like
1: five minutes of prayer, but what I'm referring to here is if you're struggling with something, offer it up to God in various ways, like spend each week an hour in holy hour, in adoration, praying to God about this. Go to a daily mass outside of the regular mass and ask God for the graces through the daily bread. Open scripture, spend 45 minutes or an hour reading scripture with this on your mind, meditating on it, asking God to reveal things through scripture. These are ways that your heart is transformed in a way that you just start loving people and forgiveness becomes
0: easier. I say we leave it at that. Absolutely. As usual, my outline will be in the show notes. If you haven't taken a look at the show notes before, do check them out. I provide the sources for everything we quote, as well as links to related materials. In an episode a couple of weeks ago, Matt shared about the breaking of the four-minute mile. Well, actually, that week, there was a podcast on the art of manliness about that very subject. Hmm. So I put a link to there. So there's always stuff in the show notes, so be sure to check that out. Maybe he listened to our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that was it, yes. (laughs) And have you shared your favorite episode of The Eagle and Child on social media? Please do.
1: Yeah, I think you should.
0: Yeah. Yeah, It'll be good. And you can always find us on restlesspilgrim.net. Twitter and Instagram, at Pints with Jack.
1: With that said, further up
0: and further in. Cheers. Cheers.